comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. You clearly don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger. I am the danger. I am the one who knocks. Now, say my name. Eisenberg. You're damn right. Welcome to Los Podcast Hermanos, the HHW LOD Breaking Bad Podcast. Hey everybody and welcome to Los Podcast Hermanos Episode 3, where we will be discussing Breaking Bad Season 5, Episode 11, Confessions. I'm Jordan and I'm joined tonight by Russ. Say hello, Russ. Hi. And by Mr. Frank A. Rincon. How you doing, Frank? I'm great. Thanks, guys. So, uh, what an episode. <laughs> Start to finish, how oh. awesome was Confessions? Oh, wow. I mean, I, I, it, it blew me away. I, I was actually watching it at a, I went to a watching party at a place called the Granada here in Dallas, where they usually have concerts. But on Sunday night, sometimes they'll do showings of TV shows. And um, there's one particular scene where everybody in the audience gasped and then started applauding because it was so awesome nice i guess i'll i'll, I'll wait till we get to that scene uh, when we talk about it but uh watching it in a big crowd like that what an experience i'm gonna do it again next week yeah i can guess at about three possible scenes that could have been my question is though i mean I, i've heard of these types of things like they do them at the alamo i know or they did at one point in different places where they'll do these dream parties do you have people, I mean, my, my big problem would be having people talking or just distractions that would bother me to no end. I mean, was that something you ran into or was everybody kind of locked into the show? Everybody was locked into the show and get this, you'll like this. So as the show plays and they break for commercial, everyone starts to talk, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, can you believe that? Did you see that? The second the commercial ends, like I would say 40% of the people start shushing everyone else <laughs> so it's and, a bunch of me's in the room yeah and it's it, and then it is dead silent until the next commercial break so everybody is there for the same reason nice. they don't have cable and they love breaking bad <laughs> <laughs> well this episode was written by jennifer hutchinson or hutchison rather not hutchison and directed by michael slovis who's he's directed a number of episodes i believe hasn't he i believe so that name definitely rings a bell uh, I just brought him up. He directed something Kafka-esque in season three, Cornered in season four, Live, Free, or Die in season five, and Confessions. Okay, so all uh, all but one I can place just by name, and the, the one I can't place, I'm pretty sure I know which one it was, but all very good episodes. Um, Kafka-esque had Jerry Burns in it, which, which he was a guest actor who I always like when he shows up. He's a, he's a cool guy. Yeah. Well, without any further ado, you guys want to start talking about the episode? Uh, no, I'd, I'd rather not, no. Okay, well, then Come we can go back on, to Russ, discussing website cool. stuff. No, Russ, be <laughs> cool. Come on, man. Tell him to calm down one more time, Frank. <laughs> oh, man. I, a couple things, I guess, before we, wanna, before we get started that I wanted to mention real quick. Um, have you guys been watching it? And, and there was a little bit of uh, email talk about this. Have you guys been watching it with the second screen feature on your either laptop or tablet while the episode's going? 
I have I watched, been, yes. Yeah, and I watched it last night on my phone, the second screen. What do you guys think of it overall? I like it quite a bit. Yeah, and uh, while I enjoy it, it's not necessary, but it gives you a little bit of insight to things. And um, part of part of the, the story sync is that sometimes they'll do surveys just right off the bat of something that may have happened in the show. Like, do you think that was genuine or do you think that was fake? And, and the audience responds and then you get a quick survey. And there's one particular scene, which I'm sure we'll get to, where that uh, the response was very interesting. Um, I do like it. It's definitely not necessary, but it's nice. I like to bring it up mostly during commercials because, A, I don't want to miss anything. But, B, you know, like Frank says, the, the surveys are pretty cool. It gives you that counter that lets you know when the commercials are going to be over. And uh, it's something I can jump back and forth to between Twitter because I, uh, I generally live tweet the episodes. Although last night, my uh, my tweets were, for the most part, less than... Uh, uh, less than fully readable since they were mostly uh, expletives followed by exclamation points over yeah. and over again. There was a few that were actual sentences, but mostly it was, I can't believe that just happened, but expressed in much more colorful language. <laughs> yeah. And you had some news. You, you uh, so, Someone retweeted you, right? Yeah, um, I tweeted before the episode actually aired. Let me bring it up on my phone so I can read it uh, word for word here. I uh, I was watching the end of the previous episode. Because that's what I generally do is I try to make sure I've got the TV secured and the channel on the right, uh, you know, the TV on the right channel because remembering what my parents' uh, TV channels are can get kind of annoying. But so I tweeted, uh, watching the end of last, last week's hashtag Breaking Bad, and I was reminded of the fact that Stephen Casada uh, Gomez has the most infectious smile on TV, which after the episode that episode ended, and then the, the the new episode aired and ended. I was then retweeted by Charisse Casada, who, from what I can tell, is Stephen Casada's wife. So, <laughs> uh, thank you for retweeting me. That was a very nice surprise. And uh, she's at Joker's Bride on uh, on Twitter. If you want to follow her. And from what I understand, uh, he's a pretty funny guy. I guess he's a local radio guy in Albuquerque. He has a, or is it, he has his own either talk show or radio show or something like that. He might have both because I was actually watching a clip last night. Um, it might John might have actually sent that or somebody might have sent that out on the email or I might have seen it linked somewhere else. But it was um, his little talk show in, I guess, Albuquerque. And he had um, Brian Cranston on as a guest and they had it was an eight minute clip. And during the clip, you know, they set up, you know, what Brian Cranston has to do to get into character and all these things. And then they sit him down in a chair, bring out a makeup artist and a hairstylist and a couple other people. They affix a fake mustache and goatee to his face and shave his head. And he drops into character within those eight minutes. That's was pretty wild. Wow. wow. Um, and I, we, we should probably mention news wise, the the heavy, heavy rumor, probably true is that Brian Cranston is going to be Lex Luthor in uh, Man of Steel 2, uh, Batman versus Superman. Yeah, right off the bat, that that sounds like pretty good casting to me. You know, I'm almost afraid he might be too old to pay Lex. I don't know. But I think he can pull it off, yeah. When when he's Heisenberg, he can definitely be Lex. I, I was saying in, there, in our email thread, I would buy him as pretty much any DC villain. We know he can play yeah. Joker after seeing him in the end of Crawl Space, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that guy, that guy, I would trust him as any character they want to put him as. They want to have him play Batman. They want to have him play Superman. I don't care. I'll buy it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, d- just back to the second screen thing real quick. I, I was kind of un- underwhelmed by it. Uh, I-, I think there was a few cool things. The, the poll stuff is kind of cool. The trivia question stuff is kind of neat. Um, I-, I guess I was looking for more quick fire informative stuff. You know, the kind of Easter eggy things that that were float up. And 
I didn't really see any of that. So I will say there was definitely less of that this week than there was the two previous weeks when I used it. Because there uh, okay. was like things like the rice and cigarettes showing up or uh, the the first cook site that they returned to. This episode didn't really have any of those. Like I'd assume True. if we had seen Walt put the gun in the uh, the soda machine, machine at any point, it would have shown us a clip of that or that kind of thing. The one thing it did have was a link to Walt's original confession video from the pilot, and I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. It gave me something to watch over yeah. commercial. I, I was tempted, to, and they did good timing too because you could watch it during the commercial, and uh, I didn't bother seeing it because I was in that room. I didn't think I'd get to, to hear it very well, but um, they'll also show some callbacks sometimes, like if there's a scene that reflects something that happened in another episode, it's fun, yeah. but yeah, Jordan, th- this one was a little light compared to the other ones. Absolutely, yeah, I would definitely say that. So if you only watched this week, I don't know that I would say it was a representative sample. I wouldn't say it was bad, but it was just a little less necessary or a little less informative rather than last two weeks. That's cool, and I figure it's just kind of running in the background, so even if it's okay, it's A, free, B, I'm not doing anything else anyway, so uh, <laughs> you know it's, it's hard to complain about something that... Uh, uh, you know that that you're not really having to you know give any va- you know give anything for to get to get some value. So, well, it's the internet. That wouldn't be that strange to see complaining about that. But <laughs> true. Well, it's it's great. It's great if you happen to be watching it alone, and and so you can be engaged with that second screen. You know, if you're with someone else and you're talking back and forth, it might be a little. I could see it being a little distracting. But uh, yeah, when it's just you and the television, that's pretty cool. Russ, is your wife back to watching the show with you? Or yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. She's she must have been excited about this episode then, Big Jesse episode. Oh, oh man, <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's definitely in a hundred percent. No question about it. I mean, she is just back because it's just crazy stuff is happening every week. It's just um, and it's looking more and more like like bad. It, it, this is going to go down bad all the way around. And uh, yeah, I mean the the video confession thing this week. After that was kind of like halfway over. It, it was kind of cool because we both we're kind of both at a point now in the watching of it where neither one of us has seen it. So we, you know, much like you did and John did, I rewatched with her from the beginning, um, episode one through you know through through current. So we went through from season one all the way through the first half of season five, and I knew what was coming. And some of it was cool because it'd been a while since I watched it and I stuff I didn't remember. Um, but now that we're both kind of like in the same boat, it's it's really fun because we'll just look at each other and be like, just like I said, the video confession. I think her jaw was open when she turned around and looked at me, and I was kind of in the same boat. I was just like, "Are you effing kidding me?" I would like this? to imagine that both of you um, were standing in front of the television, just like Hank and Marie, and it was almost that like would have an been awesome picture of the two of you. <laughs> that would have been awesome, but no, sadly, that was the scene where everybody gasped and then started applauding. It was brilliant, but we will get to that uh, in a few minutes, because the episode, uh, episode 511, Confessions, begins not with our main characters, but with our neo-Nazi side characters. Uh, we've got Todd, who of course uh, shot the kid, uh, Drew Sharp, uh, in the train robbery episode, Dead Freight, and they're in a diner, he, he's sitting there with his Uncle Jack and one of the other neo-Nazis named Kenny. And he is relating the story of what happened during Dead Freight pretty accurately. He, of course, left out the part where he murdered a child. But aside from, you know, making his exploits sound a little bit bigger than they were, and quite honestly, not too much. I mean, he doesn't, didn't really exaggerate too much. He relates to them in this in this bustling diner everything that happened, which you know, right off the bat, I, I was tweeting, you know, 
Todd and his group need to be a lot more careful. They seem to be very uh, blasé about chatting about this in public. <laughs> you know, and and uh, and Todd leaving out the whole murder part, uh, uh, murdering that child was kind of telling. You know, he talks about how it all went, you know, it all went according to plan, except, for, you know, but he leaves that part out. Um, it's just, you know, it's a little insight into his character. Yeah, and, and even further into, you know, when when we had the episode after Dead Freight, the title of which is escaping me at the moment, but, you know, he said he felt remorse, he said he felt bad and didn't want to do it, but you didn't really see any of that come across. You know, it was just more him saying it, and, and again, him not bringing it up here. A, that could be out of shame, but B, it was just, to me, it read as it didn't bother him. It was just no. something that happened and it wasn't even important enough to bring up. What was important was to talk about that. He jumped off the top of a moving train. <laughs> He's the anti Jesse. I mean, you know, Jesse like feels a lot of guilt and he weighs everything very heavily on himself. I mean, when he shot Gail, I think that's still weighing very heavily on him. All the stuff that, you know, happened with Brock that weighs heavy on him, even though, well, up until this, you know, we'll get to that later, but he felt it was Gus, but yet, you know, hit by him associating with Gus, it was still kind of on him. The stuff with, um, um, with Jane, you know, all that, you know, it, it, he, he wears this stuff very heavily on, you know, himself, especially Mike. I mean, I think of all the stuff that's affected him up until this point, I think that, you know, Mike is, you know, what happened to Mike and what he realizes happened to Mike really set him off. Um, and Todd's the exact opposite. You know, he's super polite to people up front, but behind the scenes, yeah, I don't think he has any remorse over anything. I mean, as far as what he's doing, how he's making a living, killing the kid, um, you know, what happened with, uh, you know, with Mike, because he, he he was a part of, you know, it was him and Walt that, that took the, you know, they put Mike's body in the barrel, you know, and, and at the, um, after after Walt killed him. So Todd knows all the little secrets. Yes, he does, which is probably going to be a problem. And, you know, Todd calling uh, Walt just to kind of let him know what's up. That was, I don't, I, I didn't quite know how to read that scene. You know, why, why does he feel, <laughs> what's that? I said phenomenally stupid. Oh, yeah. It but was, again, I mean, inordinately re- uh, polite. Jess, uh, not yes. Jesse, Todd is always a little bit crazy, very stupid, and extremely polite in, in all of his discussions. A couple things, too. When those guys went into the to the bathroom, um, for, for a split second, I don't know why my brain just kind of frizzed out a minute, and I forgot that those guys were complicit in the in the prison murders. I thought, man, I wonder if one of these guys is like a you know deep undercover fed or or something like that. <laughs> um, and then you know I was kind of thinking because it would just seem weird that they would have both of them. You know that whole exchange was just kind of weird and out of place. It seemed. Um, but then I thought about that, and I'm like, yeah, even if this guy's deep cover, I don't think he's going to let lie that they murdered, you know, nine people in prison. Um, but it had a very Tarantino kind of feel to it also, you know, sitting in the diner and feeling like they got somewhere to go. It, In a way, we've, we've kind of seen this trope on the show before, you know, with the cousins, you know, when the cousins were kind of making their way to go, you know, ult- you know, when they wanted to kill Walt and ultimately when they attacked Hank. But I kind of see the same thing, like we're getting little snippets of these guys working their way back to Albuquerque, and I'm assuming they're going to have some sort of showdown with Walt or some sort of uh, interaction with Walt. Yeah, these scenes are mostly just to keep them in our in our minds so we don't forget about them when they show up again. Yeah. And of course, they're they're in that bathroom, they're discussing uh, uh helmet culture if you will, will, and just how they are upset that people try to make things safe in the modern society. <laughs> and 
the way it's framed, I kept waiting for something to happen. Kind of like you were saying, Russ, I kept thinking there was more going on here than we were seeing and that we were going to pan down and see if they had killed somebody in the bathroom or they were going to leave the bathroom and you were going to find out that Jesse had, not Jesse, I keep saying Jesse, that Todd had murdered everybody in the restaurant and the, the waitress <laughs> was the only one left alive or something. Or It, it just felt weird. But then uh, Uncle Jack notices something on his shoe and uh, he lifts his shoe up uh, to the trash can and wipes it off and wipes some blood off of his shoe from, of course, the uh, the meth massacre last episode. And he drops the paper towel that he wiped his shoe off in the toilet and flushes. And we see the toilet paper not quite go, or not toilet paper, but the, the paper towel not quite go all the way down and come back up as they exit the diner. They get into their truck, which is dragging, or not dragging, but pulling on a trailer the giant vat of methylamine as they head off to New Mexico. Now, I thought two things when watching that scene, um, specifically the part with the with the paper towel. I thought one thing when I was watching it initially, and then one thing when I was watching it the second time when I rewatched the episode, because I had the whole episode in context. At first, I was thinking, is this blood on the on the paper going to be a clue? Is someone going to walk into this bathroom and find the paper towel, find the blood, and somehow that's going to link them to the murders, which is going to link, you know, them to Walt somehow. But after seeing the whole episode, I, I can't help but think that it was a visual metaphor for what was going on with Jesse in that it's Walt trying to flush a problem away or wash some evidence away, but it just won't quite go down the drain and comes right back. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, maybe that's what those guys represent because I have a feeling that, you know, they're going to kidnap Walt or something and make him cook for them or somehow try to bring him back. I mean, Walt's going to meet up with those guys and with Todd again. And yeah, they got to get the, they got to get the quality of the meth back up the specs and they're probably going to, I don't know, try to get him, intimidate him to come back or something. I mean, I could totally see them, you know, maybe they kill Skylar and, and, uh, or threaten to kill Skylar and, and Walt Jr. If he doesn't come cook for them. And they had that whole conversation before they went in the bathroom about, you know, Todd, are you ready to cook? You think you're going to be good to run your own your own lab and everything? Do do you guys think that Todd is actually ready? I mean, we know he, aside from setting that one fire accidentally, you know, was able to cook a decent batch of meth twice. No, uh, I think he's I, I think he's going to need help. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that's part of the reason why he's trying to make contact with with Walt is to to kind of set that precedent. I'm hoping he just thinks, you know, I think the angle is going to be just just cook with me, you know, two or three times. Let's do two, three batches and I'll be good to go. You know, I just, you know, need to, you know, I haven't done it for a while. I need to get back in the swing of it um, and and see how that goes. But I think I think there's definitely going to be a renewed, uh, you know, sense of tension. And that's and that could be ultimately what, you know, causes this wedge to be shoved in completely. And it could be maybe Walt uses this as um, as leverage with Hank. It's like, hey, you want a big bust? You want to get somebody that, you know, doesn't have any connection or whatever? These, you know, it's these guys. That's that's good thinking. That might work. That is excellent thinking. Yeah. So that is the scene that happens before the credits, the cold open, as they call it. And after we come back from commercial, we catch up with Hank, who is entering the interrogation room with Jesse, which we ended last week's episode on. And uh, we actually start it from Jesse's point of view and see everything that had happened over the last few minutes of the previous episode, but kind of in this uh, stop motion, uh, very fast stop way where everything's just kind of happening around him as he reacts to absolutely nothing until Hank comes in the room. 
And uh, Hank right comes out and tells him right off the bat, I know my brother-in-law is Heisenberg, and that gets <laughs> a slight reaction from Jesse, just enough to tell Hank that he's absolutely right. Uh, and he tries to reason with Jesse, and I think he took a very smart tact that eventually paid off for him in that he he played on Jesse's heartstrings, and look, we're in the same boat. Walt has been lying to me for over a year and using me for over a year, and I have a feeling that you feel that he's done the same exact things to you. We're, we're kindred spirits on this in a way. And and that that was smart on him. I mean, you know, he... He he's a very smart police officer, so he knows what how to how to make people talk. But um, you know, unfortunately, and this is probably the him, calmest we've ever seen Hank too. Yeah, well, I I think because he he has nothing, he knows everything, but has nothing. Yeah, right. And he can't risk setting Jesse off. He needs him on right. his side. Well, too, he doesn't want to get too wound up. Also, because he doesn't want the feds to think that, or not the feds, he doesn't want those Albuquerque cops to think that Hank's trying to pull a fast one over on them. You know, he's he's doing this, he's angling it as, hey, let me do this favor for you guys. Uh, and, you know, just in, in trying to, to downplay what he actually has. If, you know, if, if the Albuquerque PD had any inkling that... That Jesse was involved in, and how big the scope was, there'd be a little bit of a of a spitting contest going on as to as to who's going to do what. Yeah. So Hank is unable to convince Jesse, at least in the moment, that he should help him, and that's when Saul comes in with the two uh, ABQ officers, and he tells uh, he tells everybody to get out because uh, of, of the previous relationship between Hank and Jesse, and that there's going to be a, lo- a lawsuit the size of I believe he said Montana. Yes, he did. And uh, it seems that the other two uh, officers were not aware of Hank and Jesse's history. And this is a uh, kind of a repeat of the last time that Jesse was in uh, in an interrogation room, even with everything with the camera. Like the first time Saul came in, he threw his jacket over the camera. This time when Hank comes in, he turns the camera off. And then when Saul comes in, he angles the camera away. But Saul is able to get out of Jesse that Hank, he didn't tell Hank anything. Um, and then Walt tells Saul, you know, they need to, to get him out of there no matter what the cost. And, of course, Walt is on the phone at home, and that's when Walter Jr. comes home. And he tells his dad, hey, Aunt Marie invited me over to help uh, help repair her computer and stay for dinner. And Walt, of course, can't have that. He realizes exactly what Marie is up to. So he finds a way to, again, lie by telling the truth and twist everything to his <laughs> advantage by having Walt Jr. sit down, tell him that he his cancer is back, and basically guilt Walt Jr. into staying home and not going over to Hank and Marie's house. It's funny, when this scene first started, I thought this was going to be like a Vera from Cheers thing going on, like we'd never see Walt Jr. again in the show. You know, like we just kind of hear his voice or see him walking away, (laughs) but never actually see him. Um, Because it seemed like he was going to take off, and you just heard his voice, and then when when Walt actually stopped him and set him down, I was like, oh, okay, this kid kid is going to show up in this show again. (laughs) I was um, I did notice he was wearing like a like a he was wearing a blue a blue uh, hoodie on, and I I kept wondering does that mean does that mean what does that mean you know I'm so <laughs> concentrated on colors now. Someone at work had mentioned that uh that they bet that uh, Walt Jr. gets starts doing meth, and it's the meth that Walter is producing, or you know his 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 stuff so. Um, it seemed like an interesting theory, but eh, he seems like a good enough kid that he wouldn't he wouldn't do that. 
We also just haven't seen him act like he's been on meth at any point. Like, yeah, that, that's one of those things that's kind of hard to hide, I would assume. Yeah. And uh, we're not seeing any of the signs. It's it's not a breakfast drug, so <laughs> probably, probably not going to see that. And some meth and bacon. I was, I mean, I was so hoping he would be eating bre- breakfast. I really was. I hope. They well, I mean, if breakfast. Hank and Marie had invited him over for breakfast and to fix the computer, he would probably still have gone. But it was just <laughs> dinner, so. Uh, so we then cut over to presumably the next day where Walt and Skyler have invited Hank and Marie to a Mexican restaurant. Um, the, the whites, speaking of colors, they're in their whites and pales. Um, and when the Schraders come in, they're in purples and blacks. And interestingly, it's Hank that's in purple this time and Marie who's in black. But it be- definitely yes. sets the chess match flavor of, of the scene. It sets the, the very diametrically opposed um, characteristics of, of the two sets of people. And, Man, I uh, never wanted guacamole so bad in my life. They just kept talking <laughs> about the guacamole. They make it at the table. It's fresh. Oh, my gosh. I love chips and guac. Oh, That was a lot of fun with uh, Trent, the, uh, the, uh, the, waiter. the waiter who comes over. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he was doing a decent job, but uh, it, it was very funny to see him very quickly realize, I need to give them some space and some time, which he, he does twice. It did take him a while to kind of figure that out. You know, that, that ooh, things are frosty at this table. <laughs> well, and it was such a fun and interesting scene, too, because, like you're saying, it's frosty at the table. It's just, you know, Hank almost never looks away from Walt the entire conversation. His teeth are grit the entire time. Like, I've got to imagine uh, that uh, Dean, Dean Norris's dentist is a very happy person at this point <laughs> from all the <laughs> teeth gritting that he has to do over this scene and over the season in general right. so far. But, um, you know, you've got them just glaring at each other at this table. At the meantime, you've got Trent, the world's happiest waiter. You've got these bright colors of the Mexican restaurant. You've got the nice, airy, kind of happy music going on for the, in the background of the entire scene. Like, it was a very cool juxtaposition. The, the part that really, I, I just, I tell you what, I think there's a lot of attention played on um, Brian Cranston as Walt. There's a lot of attention on Jesse, on Aaron Paul, on Bob Odenkirk, and then when Jonathan Banks was on, just, you know, um, their characters. And I think Dean Norris is really just firing on all cylinders as, an, as a performance for me. Um, and he just, that bit where he's sitting at that table and he's like, okay, cut the BS. You know, he's, he's just getting so pissed. And then he looks, you know, he's, he just basically tells Walt, you're not getting away with this. You're going down for this. There's no, there's no way out of this for you. That even if it means ruining my career and me going out in disgrace, I am going to be the one that brings you to justice. And then he, when he points to Skyler and says, you know, basically you're going with him if you don't, if you don't stop this right now, like this is your last chance to bail out of this and, and get away clean. Um, but just the ferocity in his voice and just, just, oh man, it, it, Hank is just such an interesting character because he goes from kind of this somewhat bumbly kind of guy to, you know, always kind of be the, you know, kind of like the big guy that, that acts tough, but really isn't tough, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and then it has that kind of like mumbly nervousy kind of, kind of interaction that happens, you know, like when he's trying to get, when he's kind of uncomfortable, and then, and then he, but he's trying to assert himself. I just, I just love the way that that comes across uh, on screen. And I tell you, he's just given the performance of of his career uh, in in this half of season five. Oh, I absolutely agree. 
Now, so you pretty much laid out most of what happens during this during the scene. So I want to back up real quick to mention what happened before the commercial break. And that is Walt is sitting on his bed uh, right where the cousins had sat uh, two seasons earlier. <laughs> and uh, Skylar comes in and she says, are you sure you want to do this? He says, it's the only way it's going to work. It has to or something along those lines. And we pull back and reveal that she has set up on a tripod a handheld video camera. And just like in the pilot, Walt says, my name is Walter Hartwell White. I live at uh, 308 Negro Roya you know, Lane or whatever the, the street address is. And this is my confession. Now, it should be noted in, in the pilot, he said this is not an admission of guilt. This is a message for my family or something along those lines. But this time it's set up that this is my confession and then we cut to commercial. So then we have the whole restaurant scene when we come back. And like we said, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in there uh, with the acting. I, I love... The moment from Marie, which I thought would be another one of those gaffs slash applaud moments that you were talking about, Frank, where she basically says, just kill yourself. She's, <laughs> and everybody kind of looks at her and she goes, Walt, you're saying this will all be over once your cancer kills you. Why don't you just get it out of the way and kill yourself? Uh, which was funny because immediately it's Hank and and, and uh, Skylar who are like, no, that's not going to work. He's not going to kill himself. <laughs> and uh, Walt even stays out of it himself. But it was a very strong moment for her. I know, and in a lot of ways, she she was right. I mean, that would have oh, just absolutely. taken care of everything. Well, and it's funny because Marie was the one when they had the big pillow conversation that when Walt was like, look, I'm not going to go through the chemo. I'm not doing this. I'm just going to let it run its course. And she was the one that kind of came to his defense and said, look, who are we to say, you know, he should he should do this and he should be able to confront this on his own way and kind of, you know, feeling empathy for him for his treatment to now just say, why don't you just kill yourself? I was just like, holy crap. Yeah, that's a bit of a 180 degree turn there for her over six years. But so they finally come to a point where this conversation's not going anywhere. So uh, Walt and Skylar get up to leave. But before they do, Walt reaches into his pocket of his jacket. Uh, he's dressed kind of like Mr. Rogers, actually, and uh, pulls out a DVD and hands it to Hank, and we cut over to the uh, Schrader household, where they put in the DVD, and they stand in front of the TV and watch it, and Walt gives his confession. We quickly realize, though, he is not confessing to everything he's done, but instead using a little bit of what he's done and saying that he was forced to cook meth, murder people, blow up a nursing home, and many other things by his brother-in-law, Hank Schrader, who uses DEA connections to build a meth empire. Holy cow. That is when everybody in the place gasped and then applauded. That was a huge, like, chest move. Like Such a brilliant Heisenberg <laughs> move, you know. That was that was perfect. There was no better thing he could have done in that situation. And while it probably won't work out in the long run, uh, in the short term, it was like check and mate, game over. I won again. Yeah. You know. Wow. And I was just say I I did not see that coming. I I really thought that that you know recording was going to be something that was going to you know be left for you know that, that kind of the. Uh, you know, no way out thing, like tell Skylar, okay, if, if it gets so bad and you get pushed, then this is, you know, this is the, the, the nuclear trigger, you know, you yeah. use this to get yourself out of, out of jail and get yourself out of the way, um, you know, or, or whatever. And then when I knew when he gave it to Hank, I was like, what, there's gotta be something like I, <laughs> I didn't, I mean, I didn't even fathom, and I don't know why I didn't fathom this, but that he would implicate Hank 
in what was going on. And it was just, it was, it was classic uh, Breaking Bad writing. You know, everything fit into place as far as, um, you know, him positioning himself. You know, the fact that they, they have a relation to each other. You know, Go, you know, Gomi knows that that Hank went on the ride along. Um, you know, the fact that that Hank and Walt went staking out the car wash and just all of the, you know, the paying for the, the, the therapy, the fact that, you know, why the cartel was had such a mat on for him in the first place. Like, all this stuff just adds up. And it's one of those things where, you know, listening to Vince Gilligan in, in interviews and stuff, I don't think this is something they had planned out from the beginning. But the fact that they were able to come up with this in the end to figure out how to make this work and all that stuff just fit was, it, it to me, is just very, it, it, very impressive. You know, uh, Russ... A little bit of insight. I was actually listening to the uh, Breaking Bad Insider podcast, which is the official one. And you're right on the money. They did not have it planned this way that he was going to. It just kind of developed in the writing room that he was going to turn the tables on Hank like this. And it was so perfect. And so like like you're saying, uh, you know, Russ, so perfectly written as Breaking Bad does and that everything fit together. And with all of Walt's lies, for the most part, something I, I, I read in a review of this episode that I thought was very interesting was Walt's an excellent liar to everyone except Skyler. Whenever he tries to lie to Skyler, he gets bumbly and his excuses are terrible and, and everything else. But for anyone else, he's a good liar. And what's the best way to communicate an effective lie is to tell the truth as much as you possibly can in that lie. <laughs> the more truth in there, the more the lie will go over. And Walt admitted to, uh, I'll say, 30 to 40% of the things he's done over the length of the show. But in terms of things he did admit, they were all some of the biggest ones. The bomb of the nursing home and, and some and, and those kind of things and, and cooking the meth. He, he admitted to all these things that he did. He added in so much truth. And the only lie in that whole thing was that he was forced to do it by Hank. Every other thing he mentioned happened and happened pretty much exactly the way he said it happened, except for the added layer of Hank forced me to do it. But everything from the money for Hank's uh, physical therapy to, you know, he took my children away from me for three months to he gave me this black eye. Like all these things happened almost exactly the way he said they did. And it was brilliant. You know, I think it was last week Johnny M brought up, he was, he, he had brought up like, I wonder if that uh, rehab money is ever going to resurface. Like, is it going to play a role? In, and boy, did it. And man, did it. It's just like, uh, bravo. Just well, bravo. And I kind of had assumed that Hank already knew by now that Marie would have told him as soon as like they had left the White House um, after the whole thing with Holly and everything. But um Here's where he goes, what's he talking about, this 170-whatever-thousand dollars? And she goes, she explains what it was, and his reaction, another tour de force by Dean Norris was, you know, you know, bleep, bleep, you you killed us, Marie. You just killed us. That was the last nail, the last nail in the coffin. And not in a totally vindictive way, like trying to put everything on her, but just out of like this desperation and exasperation of, you know, he had just had this massive blow landed on him by the video. And then to find out that the one thing that he thought might be nailable in the video of the money. And well, that's not real, obviously to find out that it was just destroyed him. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, talk about going from having, and again, I think we're all in agreement that Hank is ready to commit career suicide to bring him down. 
Um, you know, he's, he but did is he willing before. to go to jail? Right. And it, at this point, he's like, well, now I'm just screwed because what am I going to do? I can't, I can't go anywhere with this because this story is believable enough that it's going to cast enough doubt that it's going to put me under a microscope, you know, criminally. Um, and yeah, it just, oh. Uh. You know, uh, while the, the story is believable, I, was, I actually rewatched the episode before we got on and I started thinking about that. The only caveat that Hank has with this whole thing is that he has no money. It's the only caveat. Now, of course, the money can be hidden or he could say that that money out in the desert, Hank put it out there and that's where he's hiding it. I guess that now that I talk about it out loud, I guess that's that's that can be turned on to Hank. Yeah. All you have to really say is that Hank is really good at hiding his money. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he's he if, if he's good enough to be the ASAC of the DEA in, in New Mexico and run a meth empire at the same time, well then probably hiding his money is the least of his problems. And probably I'm imagining Walt has that base covered. Either he's got a way to reveal it that Hank is tied to that money buried, or maybe he left one barrel and did something else with it that we didn't see on screen. Ooh, true. You know, Walt, Walt's too smart, or at least the writers are, are too smart at this point to not leave that, that open. So I, I can definitely... I can definitely see that being a loose end that's easily taken care of. So after commercial, we come back and we have Walt meeting with Saul and Jesse in the desert where Walt tells Jesse, you know, I'm sorry you got dragged into this, and you know, but maybe it'd be best for you if we use Saul's disappearing guide, his disappearer, to get you out of here. You can start a brand new life. You can start over. You can leave this guilt behind and all these things. And you know, just have a better life in general. And Jesse's very skeptical. And at first he says, you know, what, are you going to kill me like you killed Mike if I don't do this? Again, Jesse's still not believing that Walt did not kill Mike like he claims. And of course, Jesse is absolutely right. And finally says, you know, you don't actually care with me, care about me. You just want me to leave this area so you can further derail Hank's investigation. And, you know, can you just for once cut the BS and say what you really mean. You don't need to play me. Just like Hank was telling him in the beginning of the episode, you know, Walt's been playing you and you know it. You know, just stop playing me and tell me what you really want. Ask me for a favor for once instead of trying to make it seem like it's in my best interest. And this is where we had that part that you were talking about, um, Frank, on the, the StorySync app where it was, was this next act genuine or a put-on? And it was, Walt walks over to him kind of slowly and Jesse kind of plants his feet, kind of backs up a little bit and kind of braces himself. And it's this moment where you're watching it and is, is he going to shoot Jesse? Is he going to snap Jesse's neck? Like, what is Walt going to do? And Walt walks over and hugs him. And Jesse doesn't really hug him back, but he, he over the course of about 30 seconds, just bursts into tears and, and just cries there as Walt uh, hugs him and holds the back of his head. And it's one of those moments where I mean, knowing that it's Heisenberg, it's probably a put on to some extent, but you also know that he does kind of look on Jesse as a son to some extent. So balancing the sincerity versus the, this is just an act so he can get Jesse to do what he wants is a, is a tough decision to make. Yeah. That, that survey was split, whether it was genuine or not. I think yeah, it was like 52, 48 or something like that. Yeah. And in, I think in favor uh, of it being genuine. Yeah. Which I yeah. agree with. I think it was just enough genuine to count it. I disagree. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you never, never count out Heisenberg. I think I said it it was genuine because I wanted to believe it. But yeah, Russ, you're probably right. I I look at it this way. 
Walt definitely wants Jesse out of the picture. No questions asked. But if he wants that done, there are so many other ways he could do it. He could, like I said, he could shoot Jesse. He could snap his neck. He could do any number of things to kill him or take him out of the picture. But he wants to do it in a way that lets Jesse get away scot-free. And so the hug in itself, while the hug might be still to get Jesse to do what he wants... He's doing that. He's doing things that way because he still cares for Jesse, and because of that, I think that makes the hug genuine enough that it is a legitimate show of affection. And he wants Jesse to get away and to go live a life somewhere else, where he could as just as easily in that moment or at any other number of moments just kill him. You know, I was really expecting that scene for them to part their ways and and for Walt to go in his car and to pull a gun out from his shoe or something. I really thought he had a good, I mean, I, I thought that's how that scene was going to end. And I would not put that past him either, you know? Mm. Uh, so later on, Jesse is in Saul's office. And they're making uh, their their arrangements t- for Jesse to be disappeared. Um, and they discuss where he's going to go. And Jesse has his, uh, his heart set on Alaska. That's where he wants to go. And I don't blame him. I think Alaska would be kind of nice. <laughs> but that's beside the point. And uh, Jesse lights up a, a joint in the office, which sets Saul off. And, you know, you can't be high when this guy shows up. I don't even know who he is. But if everything's not, you know, above board uh, or above board as it can be when you're disappearing somebody, um, he's just going to keep on going. So you've you got to put that out. He tries to give Jesse to give him the bag of weed that Jesse has, but Jesse puts it back in his pocket. So Saul goes out and uh, goes, gets, uh, goes and gets a bag for the money to give the disappearer. And when he comes back, he says, okay, Huel here is going to take you to the place. Then Huel's going to leave because, you know, it can only be you. This has to be to the letter like it's got to be. And if it's not that way, the guy is just going to keep on driving and he's not going to pick you up. So Jesse leaves and walks out and he bumps into Huel again, which will come up uh, (laughs) because we've seen it before. And uh, he goes out. Uh, and is driven by Huel to the location, which is, I, I, I looked it up, I believe it's a dam of some sort, like a hydroelectric dam, but the location looks like just a row of tombstones, yeah, which is yeah. really creepy. That was, and it's uh, apparently like four blocks down the road from where um, uh, Gail Bedecker was supposed to live too, which is a fun fact. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, that was a very interesting, you know, hats off to the either cinematography or the the you know, second unit team or whoever it is that scouts locations, because that was just a very unique um, and poignant location for them to shoot that scene. Yeah. I, uh, it, I mean, it caught my eye the way, the way it was um, framed and just, um, just, you know, I didn't even realize the whole tombstone thing until, until you said it, Jordan. Yeah. It's, it's very telling. Oh, absolutely. So Jesse is starting to get a little antsy and starting to freak out just a little bit. And he reaches into his pocket for the weed It's not there. So he starts patting himself down and he pulls out of his other pocket his pack of cigarettes. And he's looking at the pack of cigarettes in his hand and he's looking back at his other pocket and he's looking at the cigarettes and his vision's kind of going wonky again, kind of like in the beginning of the episode when he was in the interrogation room. And that's when he's putting the pieces together. I was right. I was right from the beginning when I said that Huel had lifted the pack of cigarettes off me with the ricin and that's how... Uh, Walt had tricked me into thinking that Gus had poisoned Brock. Like, straight from the beginning, Jesse had pinpointed it that Huel must have patted him down or had taken the cigarettes when he was patting him down, and he was absolutely right. And now Jesse's put two and two together that even though Walt convinced him, he was right from the beginning. And when the van pulls up to disappear him, 
Jesse runs off in the other direction, and that's where we cut the commercial. And I thought it was cool. In addition to the way it was all filmed and everything, they keep mentioning that nobody knows what this disappearer looks like, and yet again, we don't get to see him. <laughs> he drives up. He drives off. We never see inside. And that he's driving a minivan. And they just kept that wide shot, which I thought was really cool too. That they they held the wide shot on that. Yes. Yeah. Um. You know, I I I was a little on first viewing. I was a little confused as to why he was patting himself down, uh, Jesse. I didn't. Realize I was, he was as well, and, and we're not alone. I've seen a lot of people mention that they were a little confused at first at first glimpse. You know right. what was happening. I, I was gonna say as soon as. Like Huel bumps into him, I'm like, I I looked at my wife. I was like, he lifted the weed. Like I knew right then that's what happened. And so that I, at that moment, I knew that that was going to be how Jesse figured it out. Like at you know that, and I didn't figure that this was going to be Jesse's exit from the show. So something had to have happened to stop it. So like I said, as soon as he bumped into Huel, I'm like, oh crap, he's going to figure it out now. You know, Huel took the weed and. You know, Jesse's going to figure it out, and that's how he's going to put it all together. So it was, it was really tension-filled for me to see him, you know, on that, you know, on the street, you know, looking for it, being frantic, the camera swirling around, um, all you know, the quick edits, all that kind of stuff. I was, that was just very, very well done. I think what threw me off because I was also a little bit confused was I didn't think he had that pack of cigarettes before. So I thought that Hugh had taken his marijuana and given him the cigarettes, and I was very confused as to why he would do that. Not putting together that Jesse just had the cigarettes and seeing them is what triggered the memory of, oh, the weed's gone and I have this pack of cigarettes. And so that threw me off just a little bit. But you're absolutely right. If you go back and watch that scene or go back and watch the scene from uh, the episode where Huel takes the cigarettes from him and gives him the dummy pack, um, you can definitely see it both times. You can can see it more this time just the way the camera's placed, but you can see uh, Huel putting something in his pocket as soon as they they bump into each other but i wouldn't have been surprised if jesse had actually left at that point and come back later like i didn't think that would be his final exit you know had he not made that revelation but i was definitely about to tweet as soon as he got in the van oh i can't wait till jesse shows up in episode you know seven or episode (laughs) uh you know 15 of this year or whatever that he will be back and it'll be a crazy moment when he pops out of nowhere and you're like oh my gosh jesse's back but of course it was not to be um, now, I guess my memory is failing me, but I I really do seem to remember that he was carrying the rice and cigarette with him earlier this season, or am I, for some reason, that no. sticks in my head. That, no. No, no. So, Walt makes the rice and cigarette in the super lab. It's not the same exact rice that he, he was going to use against Tuco, because, of course, that ended up in a burrito on Tuco's floor in Mexico, or <laughs> right across the border of Mexico. But Walt makes this the, the second set of ricin that he puts in the cigarette or Jesse puts in the cigarette in the super lab he gives it to Jesse to poison uh, Gus Jesse never does use it to poison Gus Huel then takes the cigarette from Jesse unbeknownst to him at the time gives it to Saul Saul then gives it to Walt in I believe episode 501 when he comes back and he, yeah, and that's kind of where they explain for sure that yes Huel really took it because they refer, refer to uh, Huel's nimble sausage fingers uh, Walt then takes the, the ricin capsule and puts it behind the uh, the electrical outlet plate in his room behind the uh, behind the the night uh, nightstand, and then in episode five hundred eight or five hundred nine rather is where we see him in the in the flash forward removing it from there. So that as far as we know, it has not moved 
between episode 501 and episode 509. Like, it'll stay behind that uh, faceplate of the electrical outlet from from the beginning of the season until that point in the future. Gotcha. I don't know where that came in my head, but obviously I, I, I'm, I just don't remember. But anyway, okay. Yeah, because they went through that whole bit with the Roomba. Like, he came, you know, Walt was going to be a friend and come over and help, you know, Jesse look for the, you know, the cigarette's got to be there. It, You know, he just misplaced it. And Walt plants it in the Roomba, and, you know, they find it. And that's kind of what finally gets Jesse to just realize he just he just dropped it. And that look of anguish on his face is so amazing. Yeah. As it is when Walt hugs him in this episode, as it is when he realizes what's happening, as it is in this next scene we're about to discuss. We next cut back to Saul's office where Jesse runs in, he busts through the door, he punches Saul in the face, and I don't know if he broke his nose, but he's bleeding pretty badly from the the nose and mouth area. Um, Saul attempts to grab his gun out of uh, the desk drawer, and Jesse grabs it and uh, starts, you know, holding everybody at bay. Uh, It's uh, Saul, it's Huel, and what's the uh, secretary's name? The legal assistant? I forget what her name is. Yeah, she uh, she had a... Yeah, I can't remember, but... He says her names all the time. Yeah. I, the only one I can remember is H.T., but because she hated that so much, and they brought it up a few times. But hold on. I'm looking at my at IMDb. Let's see what I can find here. Because I want to I wanna get it right. <laughs> H.T. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> what? That's a compliment. I do not see it on here. I see Detective Kalchanko and Detective Munn, and I see car wash comp- uh, customer, but not one for her. But, Francesca. Uh, Isn't it Francesca? Francesca. Yeah. Yes, that's what it is. I want to say Teresa, and I knew that wasn't right. But uh, So he's holding them at bay. Saul keeps telling him to calm down as as Jesse is just you know telling him, you did this, you really did this. You know, that a-hole Mr. White, still calling him Mr. White, but you know with the a-hole modifier, you know, really did poison Brock. He really did do these things. And uh, Saul tells him to calm down. He tells me, you tell me to calm down one more time. And it's another great moment for Aaron Paul as Jesse. And Saul, you know, tells him, you know, I, I, I totally admit what I did. I had no idea Walt was going to poison a child, which I can't remember if that's true or not, whether he knew. Um, but I do know he was distressed about it when he when he gave the cigarette back to Walt. So I, I think he was probably telling the truth. You know, um, uh, Saul is slimy, but... Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't think he really wants anyone to get hurt. He just wants to make money. Here's an interesting question, or I hope it's interesting anyway. Saul knows how the cigarette was taken in the first place because he had Huel do it. He then presumably off screen tells Huel to take the weed. Does he just underestimate Jesse so much that he doesn't think Jesse will put two and two together? Or does he... Did he not think about the ramifications of doing it a second time? Or did he think that Jesse just wouldn't realize until it was too late and Jesse was already being disappeared? Or was it just the only option he had because he couldn't risk Jesse not get, getting disappeared because he's got weed on him? You know, I, I don't think that Saul gave it a second thought. He was more about just making sure Jesse got out of the way, didn't want anything to, to gum it up, so that's why he had the weed lifted. So... I don't think he ever thought that Jesse would ever put the two things together. I, I think there's a lot of underestimating of Jesse going on. And I think as we've seen, especially in, in season five, Jesse's gotten a lot smarter. You know, when we first met Jesse, he was pretty much a burnout, not very smart, not didn't make good decisions, didn't listen well. And as we saw in season five, all the good ideas for them to do stuff all came from Jesse. You know, the magnet, the, you know, robbing the train, you know, all that stuff came from him. And I think... 
I think Saul just kind of sees the 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 drug addict making bad decisions, kind of for the most part not really caring either. You know, he he just kind of doesn't really care about anything. You know, he's freewheeling with the money. He doesn't he's not really in it for the money or doesn't care about the money. And I think again, he has fuel lift the weed and he figures okay, by the time Jesse figures it out, he'll be halfway to Alaska, you know, anyway. So what difference does it make? And I don't think he thought he would put two and two together with um, you know, Huel lifting the 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 rice and cigarette, and and what kind of impact that would have. And to be fair, I mean, Walt knew that Jesse put two and two together in the first place when he told him, you know, this is what happened. Huel took the cigarette from me, but I don't think Saul ever knew that. So it's not like he had that information that Jesse was already putting the pieces together when he did it the second time. Right. And for our final scene of the episode, Jesse leaves the office. He he steals Saul's car. He drives over, or really races over to the White family home, where he then drives right over some of their lights and stuff in the driveway, runs into the house with a uh, a canister of gasoline, and starts pouring gasoline in the White house as the episode cuts to black. I thought, I thought when Jesse grabbed that car and hauled out of there, I thought the way this episode was going to end was going to be the complete opposite of the way the last episode ended. Instead of Hank going to Jesse, I really thought this episode was going to be Jesse going to Hank. Because I think at this point, he's like, enough is enough. Like, I, at this point, I don't care if I have to do time. I don't care if they give me the chair. I don't care if they put me a witness protection. I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring him down. Well, that could be his next stop, assuming he gets there, because one scene I forgot to mention was that Walt is aware that Jesse uh, knows. Not that Jesse is burning his house down or about to, but uh, Saul does call him and let him know that we have a problem. Walt goes to the the car wash where he has stashed a gun in the base of the uh, soda machine covered in what I thought was dust, but as everyone quickly uh, corrected me on Twitter, it was actually ice Yeah, uh, the gun was covered in, which apparently, according to a YouTube video I watched last night that I was linked to from a review of the episode... Uh, a frozen gun will still fire. Uh, it was actually a very interesting video, but um, a, a frozen ammunition as well, although it's not very, eff- not as effective uh, when the when the ammunition is frozen to at least negative eighty, which I don't think that the uh, I don't think the Coke machine quite gets gets to negative eighty. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's safe to say. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, because that would be very dangerous soda. Maybe but, yeah, uh, so, it'd be well, mm, good Coke. Walt is aware. Walt is armed. Jesse is aware, and Jesse is not necessarily armed, but he's a uh, he's a uh, flammable, shall we say? And uh, where do we see this going? Is Jesse going to actually burn the house down? Did it look like there was fire damage no. in the house when we that, saw it? That's one thing I noticed. Is there? I didn't see any fire damage. The walls were still intact. The flooring looked good. If if he lit that place on fire, there. And as we all know, I've been critical of the way fire is portrayed in um, in visual mediums, um, just having firsthand knowledge of it. But uh, there'd be a lot of smoke and water damage that we would have seen visibly in that house. And we just saw a lot of graffiti and, and, and things like that, not any fire damage. So I think Walt is racing to the house and they're going to have some sort of confrontation um, or Jesse has some change of heart or something happens. Um, you know, maybe Hank or Marie show up, maybe Skylar, who knows? Maybe uh, one of the kids is there and starts making noise. Could be. Oh, yeah, could that's be. That's good. I think something's going to happen, although we didn't see Junior's car out front. You know, we didn't see the, the Challenger, so. 
Oh, good point. Probably not home, but I think something is going to happen. Maybe maybe Junior gets home before Walt gets there. Um, you know, which will be interesting because that'll set off a whole other set of of crazy scenarios uh, with Junior getting more suspicious. But I don't think he's actually going to going to set fire to the house. Do you think he makes it away alive then? Yes. Yeah, I I don't think he he does either. Uh, I I think he's the one that writes Heisenberg. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Like the next scene, the first scene of the next episode is him putting the canister down, and then before he lights it, going over and spray painting Heisenberg on the wall, and then yeah. Walt shows up or Walt Junior or somebody. What a ride! <laughs> it was a crazy episode. It's just, again, you know, they're doing with this season. Everything is out on the table. There's no, the, no moment is except wasted. the guacamole. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Ugh>. Guacamole. Um. <laughs> But no moment is wasted. You know, they're not, this isn't, you know, I think we've been critical of other shows in the past as they've winded down, wound down, wind, winded down, whatever. Um, you know, Lost, Battlestar Galactica, uh, even Fringe to, to maybe to a lesser degree, but but to, to some degree, where they've had, it's like, okay, we know there's only so many episodes left, and we'll have, you know, a slow moment, or we'll have an, uh, uh, an episode where it's just exposition and it's like, you know, they're really not moving in fast to wind all this stuff up. This show is the opposite. It's like, wow, they're winding up or at least putting all the cards on the table very early and having all these conflicts that we thought they were going to just sandwich into the last episode or two episodes um, right on the front end. And it's just, it's just making for incredible, incredible television. I watched for 20 minutes, but it felt like five minutes and, and I just got totally lost in the episode. Well, I mean, like Vince Gilligan has said, there, there's 20 hours of story in these last eight episodes, and it totally shows in the best way possible. Yeah, I, same way. I, it's, it's like we get to that last commercial break, and I look at the clock, and I'm like, oh my god, it's, there's only 10 minutes left in this show, or five minutes left. I'm just like, it seems like five minutes. Like there's, it, it's, and it, there was a few episodes, I want to say maybe season four, season three, that... There are a couple that that you could definitely tell. Okay, that was an hour's worth of television. I, to to so far this this half season especially, I'm like I don't like the time is just there's a there's a black hole or a wormhole or or something going on because <laughs> this definitely does not feel like an hour. It feels like five minutes. I just love it. I love it so much. Such a good man. And you know what? I'm I'm not going to be sad when the show ends. I'm because it's been such a ride. It just. It needs to end. You know it has to end. I don't want it to go on forever. I want it to, to end and, and you know, just like reading a good book and you close it and it's just like, yes, that was a ride. I enjoyed it. Well, and unlike other shows, you know, for Lost, for Fringe, for Battlestar Galactica, even some of these, you know, other shows that kind of finish out, you think they're going to have like a, maybe not, maybe a happy ending or a positive ending or there's going to be answers or whatnot. For here, we pretty much, we're not really looking for answers per se. You know, there's there's no great mystery that, that is not solved because we've pretty much been privy to everything that, that's happened from this point forward. All of the characters don't know every aspect of everything that's been going on, but we know. Um, for this show, it's like, we know this is going to end bad. Like, there's no question this is going to end very badly. Maybe not for everyone, but for most of everyone. And I think that's what makes it that much more interesting to, to get to this these final episodes. Because it's like, how bad is it going to be? Like, is no one going to walk away from this? Um, and, and that's the part that just, I think, is, is heightened 
um, heightened everything. And I don't, I don't have the feeling like when I when we got to the tail end. I know I keep bringing this up, but the tail end of Lost or um, Battlestar Galactica Fringe, you kind of had this feeling in the back of your head, like uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to pull this off, or are they going to be able to pull this off to where I'm, you know, it's going to be satisfying, or I have the right answers, or you know, the questions or whatnot. And this one, I don't feel like it at all. I feel like it may not be what I think it's going to be, but I am pretty certain, and I could be totally setting myself up, but I'm pretty certain this is going to be the kind of ending to a show where you're, it's just going to take your breath away. Yeah, I think I think when yeah when this show ends, when those final credits roll, it's going to be like, thank you. <laughs> that was an amazing ride. Yeah. I'm so excited. Well, gentlemen, do we have anything else to say about this episode before we close it up? Not that we can do on an all-ages-friendly podcast, no. <laughs> I could read my tweets, but again, yeah, that won't. most of those won't play on, uh, on a family-friendly show. Uh, so, of course, after I read all the ending info here, we will close out and give the information for next week's episode. So if you want to avoid that, leave after I give you the end contact information. Uh, but otherwise, uh, here we go. You can leave us a voicemail at 516-468-7912. That's 516-468-7912. Or send us an email, hermanos at hhwlod.com. You can check out all of our other wonderful shows at hhwlod.com, Half Hour Wasted, Long Box of Doom, Walking Dead TV, Jersey Shore, Out Now with Aaron and Abe, uh, Black Box, and many, many others. There's a lot of fun stuff to check out there as well. You can follow us on Twitter at hhwlod underscore network. And there is a Los Podcast and Hermanos uh, Facebook group as well as Facebook groups for many of our other shows that you ch- can check out. So remember, we are not in danger, podcast listeners. We are the danger. And next week on Breaking Bad, remember, if you don't want to be spoiled in any way, cut out now. Episode 512 will be entitled Rabid Dog. And the summary we have from AMC is, An unusual strategy starts to bear fruit. While plans are set in motion, that could change everything. And while normally I would have the uh, teaser from Vince Gilligan from Talking Bad, I don't actually remember what it was, so it couldn't have been that important. But... One thing I will throw in, this could be a little bit more spoilery than usual, so warning, but on IMDb and Wikipedia, so not necessarily 100% reliable, keep that in mind, there is someone cast next episode as Carpet Cleaner Boss, so we may see the disappear after all next week, but only time will tell and how they will play into it, who knows. Uh, I can't wait though. But otherwise, have a good week everybody. Go on. Bye-bye.